The CECC reported one local COVID infection on Thursday, as well as four imported cases and one COVID-related death. The health minister noted that the death occurred in Taipei more than two months ago, but it wasn't notified to the CECC. He said the city government would be asked to conduct a review of its COVID reporting mechanisms. As for the four imported cases, two of them were people who had been fully vaccinated. One case had received three shots, one AstraZeneca shot in late April and two Pfizer shots in August. The other case was vaccinated with Russia's Sputnik V vaccine. This is Taiwan's first case of a breakthrough infection involving Sputnik V. Taiwan's first shipment of Pfizer vaccines landed Thursday morning. This maiden shipment contains 932,000 doses, which are expected to roll out mid-September. The shots will first be administered to recipients aged 12 to 17 before being released to adults aged 18 to 22. A Cargolux Boeing 747 touched down at Taoyuan's airport at 7 a.m. Thursday. Inside was Taiwan's first shipment of the Pfizer vaccine, comprising 932,000 doses. Present at the airport were Health Minister Chen Shizhong, TSMC Charity Foundation Chairperson Sophie Chang, and Siji Foundation CEO Yan Wen. Standing on the tarmac, they held up signs saying thank you. Besides giving thanks, thanks, and more thanks to TSMC, Honghai, and the Tsuji Foundation, I'd also like to thank our legal team, which has worked extremely hard during this time. Chairman Goh went to Europe himself to make all the appropriate arrangements in full cooperation with the government. From the time the private sector began investigating how to donate the vaccines to today, when the vaccines have arrived, there have been many difficulties. This success reflects how everyone came together to tackle all the aspects of this undertaking. Unlike the other vaccines authorized for use in Taiwan, the Pfizer vaccine must be diluted before injection. Before, you could just draw the liquid directly, and with Medigen, it was pre-filled syringes. For Pfizer, you have to dilute the liquid and then draw it with a syringe. So we'll conduct training on that. We'll have instructions on the process. The CECC also spoke on the side effects of the vaccine. About 70 to 80 percent of recipients aged 12 to 15 experience soreness around the injection site and 20 percent develop a fever. Boys may experience the very rare side effects of myocarditis or pericarditis. After injection, observe for acute and continued chest pain, shortness of breath and palpitations. If any of these symptoms arise, you must seek medical attention immediately. A reporter asked if Taiwan's next Pfizer delivery will arrive around the middle of next week. The health minister declined to give an exact date. The next batch should arrive around that time. Honghai founder Terry Go is still in quarantine, so we hope that when the second shipment arrives, he'll be able to join us at the airport. Each Pfizer vial contains about six doses and must be stored at between negative 60 and 90 degrees Celsius. The vaccines will have to go through 14 days of inspection before being transported to cold storage of 2 to 8 degrees. The vaccines will first be administered to teenagers aged 12 to 17. After that, they'll be offered to adults aged 18 to 22. Taiwan researchers have identified a super monoclonal antibody that can neutralize a variety of COVID strains, uh, including Delta. They've named it M31A7. Uh, it was found in mice that were given two doses of a monoglycosylated spike protein vaccine developed earlier this year by Academia Sinica researchers.
They identified a monoclonal antibody that is effective against various strains of the COVID-19 virus. This is of course a good thing. We'll have to let them go to clinical trials and prove that it has a beneficial effect from moderate to severe illness, that it really has value. The problem with monoclonal antibodies is that they're very expensive, so it's more cost-effective to use them for severe cases. The return on investment is too low when they are used for mild illnesses. Monoclonal antibodies aren't great as a preventative therapy because you have to keep injecting them repeatedly and that's not feasible. The M31A7 antibody demonstrates a high affinity which means it binds strongly to the antigens of the virus. Not only that, it has a powerful neutralizing effect on a variety of COVID strains. Researchers found that its ability to fight the strains was more than 100 times greater than the EY6A antibody, which is found in recovered COVID patients. Well, with COVID still raging around the world, developers in the biomedical sector are devising ways to ease the burden of doctors who fight COVID. With support from the Ministry of Science and Technology, four companies have harnessed the power of AI to do just that. From card readers with facial recognition to smart video platforms, the ministry hopes the inventions will help medical staff on the front line. Let's take a look. This facial recognition system can check your temperature and tell whether you are wearing a mask. Insert your NHI card, ID card, or even your company ID, and it'll automatically show your travel history, PCR test results, and vaccination records. This system can be used in the medical field at the front line of epidemic prevention in hospitals. It can verify your identity with a card and the system will connect to the Central Epidemic Command Center within three seconds. That way, it can help the hospital check whether you are under any pandemic restrictions, such as home quarantine, home isolation, or self-health management. In addition to this, there is a feature that allows the user to check the results of their PCR or rapid tests. National Central University has created an AI-powered gadget that combines the functions of blood oximeters and electrocardiograms. A sensor can be clipped to patients' fingers to check for abnormal heart and lung functions after medical treatment. Bring the machine in and the space can be turned into an ICU where the patient's vital signs can be monitored at all times. It gives peace of mind to both patients and staff. COVID has had a very big impact because medical equipment is bulky and expensive. If you find COVID, it takes about 20 minutes to disinfect the equipment after it is used by a patient. Another issue is that medical workers are human and they may be afraid of infection. So performing invasive checks on COVID patients is very difficult. Our innovation is that the technology is much smaller. It's easier to sterilize. It may be even cheap enough to allow people to own a set for themselves. The Yunling branch of Taipei Medical University combined medical big data and ICT to create a remote two-way video platform that allows medical workers to monitor patient status at any time. Contact with COVID-19 patients has to remain low, but they need a lot of medical attention. Our system can be used in home isolation or at quarantine centers. For example, if a person with COVID-19 experiences shortness of breath or if they need to get their body temperature or blood oxygen levels checked, the system shows it as an electrocardiogram. That way, vital data about the patients can be collected every day. Doctors can inquire about patients' health remotely and get a picture of the patient's condition. Thank you,
The smart diagnostic tools were sponsored by the Ministry of Science and Technology. The ministry hopes the technology will help doctors monitor the health of patients in the post-pandemic world and drive more innovative AI applications in Taiwan's biomedical sector. For Mosa News, Stephanie Yang, Peng Yuzhou in Taipei. The number of workers on furlough has reached a new high. As of the end of August, there are now 58,731 people on an unpaid leave program. This is the most since the start of Taiwan's COVID outbreak in mid-May. A job bank representative said the job market is likely to stay poor at least through the month of September. With the pandemic ongoing, furlough figures have reached their highest since the start of the outbreak. Many sectors have yet to recover, and jobs are few and far between for this 40-year-old man who's been seeking employment for half a year. It feels like there's less enthusiasm than before. You apply and then hear nothing back. It's not like how it was before the outbreak, when there were more invitations to interviews. With a master's degree in law, he lost work as a legal affairs specialist in the transport sector. Earlier on in the pandemic, he handled bailout applications from bus drivers. The immense workload led to burnout, and he resigned to take a breather. He thought he'd have no trouble returning to the workforce, but he's applied and applied with no success. One company rejected him for being overqualified. Even temp work has been unavailable due to the pandemic, and he's had zero income for several months. The domestic outbreak is driving up furlough rates, primarily for small and medium-sized enterprises, as well as industries that rely on domestic demand. We see the situation persisting through the month of September, that is to say, before the launch of the spending vouchers, the quintuple stimulus vouchers, the situation with unpaid leave in these industries will continue. According to a survey conducted by a job bank, about a quarter of employers say they are uncertain about the future and are considering reducing hours for employees. 77% of employees fear being forced to take unpaid leave. Another 66% fear being laid off. And nearly 70% of respondents say they were currently under financial pressure. My income has dropped by 50%. It's only 50% because I've picked up some odd jobs. If I hadn't, I would have had no income. The 34-year-old job seeker previously worked in liquor promotion, retail and insurance. But in the wake of the outbreak in May, she lost all her work and her income with it. She says that besides paying rent, she has to support her mother and that it's been hard making ends meet by working part-time jobs. She hopes her luck will change with the easing of the epidemic. The European Parliament's Committee on Foreign Affairs has overwhelmingly passed a report on improving the EU's political relations and cooperation with Taiwan. It calls on the EU to increase official exchanges with Taiwan. It also recommends the EU to rename its office to Ta uh, in Taiwan to European Union Office in Taiwan. The report was approved in a vote of 60 to 4 and will now proceed to a plenary session for a vote. In a vote of 60 to 4, the European Parliament's Committee on Foreign Affairs passed a report on the EU's political relations and cooperation with Taiwan. The report comes on the 10th anniversary of the visa waiver for Taiwanese entering the Schengen area. 
Recently, Taiwan and Lithuania agreed to establish representative offices in each other's territories, which is the best example of how Taiwan's bilateral relations with the EU and its member states are continuing to deepen. The report calls for stronger official exchanges between the EU and Taiwan. It recommends that the EU rename its office in Taiwan from the European Economic and Trade Office in Taiwan to European Union Office in Taiwan. The report says the EU and Taiwan are like-minded partners, and it expresses grave concern over China's continued threats against Taiwan. It urges the European Commission to take a proactive role in safeguarding peace in the Taiwan Strait. The report also recommends that the body prepare to negotiate a bilateral investment agreement with Taiwan by the end of the year. China's mission to the EU has voiced strong opposition to the report, saying that such moves exceed far beyond the scope of the EU's normal non-official cooperation and exchanges with Taiwan. It added that the move undercuts mutual trust and cooperation between China and the EU. Experts say it would be unlikely for the EU to back down in the face of Beijing's protests. This report is the European Parliament's way of giving a more specific plan, more specific guidelines for Europe's relations with Taiwan. This would be put forward for the European Commission for consideration. We hope the report can provide concrete and deliberate measures for bilateral relations, a manifestation of the close relationship between Europe and Taiwan. This represents a historic step forward for Taiwan-EU relations. Since President Tsai took office, we have been making concerted efforts to promote Taiwan-EU relations. It's become so that Taiwan is no longer something that shouldn't be discussed. Now it's considered an important place that should be discussed. The Taiwan State Building Party said the report reflected growing global recognition of Taiwan's defense of its democratic values. The UN General Assembly opens this year on September 14th. Taiwan's foreign ministry said it will campaign for inclusion in the UN in various ways. As before, it's asked Taiwan's allies to speak out in support and to send letters of petition to the UN, uh, UN Secretary General. It's also produced a series of short videos that will be used in a social media campaign. This year's UN bid has three main appeals. First, the UN should take immediate action to address the inappropriate exclusion of Taiwan's 23 million people from the UN system. Second, the UN improperly obstructs the right of Taiwan passport holders and journalists to attend or cover meetings and activities. This should be immediately rectified. Third, the UN should ensure that Taiwan has the right to participate in an equal and dignified manner in meetings, mechanisms and activities related to the implementation of the UN's Sustainable Development Goals and to make contributions. The foreign ministry said that under pressure from Beijing, the UN was misinterpreting the meaning of Res Resolution 2758 to exclude Taiwan. It said that nevertheless, Taiwan would continue to play a constructive role in the global community. Well, September 2nd is Tibetan Democracy Day. It marks the establishment of the democratic government of the Dalai Lama, who fled China's grip to live in exile in India. Here in Taipei, uh, Taiwan lawmakers held a launch event for a book on how Tibet was betrayed by Beijing. DPP legislator Liu Shifeng and independent lawmaker Freddie Lim convened a press conference on Thursday. They were joined by a representative of the Dalai Lama's official office in Taipei, who announced a new book exposing the betrayal behind China's 70-year occupation of Tibet. 
In the 17-point agreement signed at the time, it was clearly stipulated that Tibet's original social system would remain unchanged, and that the Dalai Lama and the Tibetan government's position would remain unchanged. But when they began enforcement, they began to forcefully interfere in Tibet's internal affairs. At the time, they promised they'd only station around 20,000-30,000 PLA troops. But today, Tibet has become a military base. The new Chinese-language book explores Chinese aggression in Tibet since May 23, 1951, when China coerced a Tibetan delegation to sign the 17-point agreement. Tibet had sought recognition as a theocratic state and the right to station their own troops along their borders, but their proposals were not included in the 17 points. The indomitable social democracy of the Tibetan people is constantly puncturing the lies of Beijing. I believe that's been a thorn in Beijing's side. Agreements reached between a big country and a small one represent a form of duress. There is no so-called equality here. There is no so-called freedom. Since 1951, China has repeatedly violated the 17-point agreement, and the Dalai Lama has gone into exile. Taiwan's parliamentary group for Tibet said Thursday that Tibet's story is comparable to Hong Kong's, and both can serve as valuable lessons for Taiwan. New Taipei was hard hit by COVID in May. At the peak of the wave, the city suffered 384 new cases in just one day. The city's health department is doing all it can to reverse the trend, and even the social media team is pitching in. Some of the summer's most memorable internet memes have come from the social team of New Taipei Mayor Hoyo Yi. I think this back panel with a shuttlecock is meaningful. We want to keep going in a good direction, toward good results. We've got good results in lots of Olympic contests recently. Because of this shot, our badminton's men's doubles won gold. On August 1st, new Taipei Mayor Ho Yi held this image up at a press conference. The city had suffered a serious COVID outbreak, but the tide was turning. The image, linking COVID stats to badminton, was produced by the social media manager of new Taipei Health Department. The numbers were going down week by week, going in a good direction. And it just so happened that we won the badminton gold with a shot that landed right on the baseline. Putting the two together seemed like a win-win. Every day when the health department's social team arrives at the office, it rustles up some images before the presser, getting complex figures into simple infographics. On July 14th, they produced this 0 plus 2, communicating that there were only two new cases among people already in quarantine and zero other new cases. Then, on August 13th, they could produce this card, a real zero day. The mayor himself expects us to be very precise in our use of language. So oftentimes when the card gets to the mayor's office, it gets sent back to us. We often keep improving it right up to the very last moment. Mayor Ho previously made headlines for promoting the idea of self-protection bubbles as wide as an arms ban. That simple image also came from his social team, which is doing its part to keep the zero days rolling. The new Taipei city government has launched the first of its kind dual diploma program. It's a rigorous course of study that lets teens graduate with two high school diplomas, one from Taiwan and one from the U.S. The first class of 30 students will start in the 2021 academic year. For most of the news reporters, Stephanie Yang has the details. 
On August 30th, New Taipei's Education Department signed a Memorandum of Understanding with Living Word Lutheran High School in the U.S. The two sides will run a program that lets technical school students earn two high school diplomas. Technical education will become mainstream in Taiwan's future, so today we're setting a new milestone. This is Taiwan's first technical school program for high school students that promotes the bilingual nation policy. 30 students will be chosen from seven technical schools in New Taipei. Starting in the 2021 academic year, the students will take nine extra hours of coursework every week, in person or remotely. These classes will be taught in English by American professors in Taiwan. During summer vacation, the students can choose to go to Living Word Lutheran High School for coursework. When they graduate, they'll receive two diplomas, one from their school in Taiwan and one from Living Word Lutheran. David Mishkimen, the principal of Living Word Lutheran High School, said he looked forward to cooperating with technical high schools in New Taipei City to establish a dual education system. He said the program can provide students with more opportunities for further education in the U.S. in the future. We are very proud of our graduates and, and from our school here in Wisconsin, as well as our partner schools. Um, um, for example, in New Taipei City, we look forward to uh, your students doing great things as well. Um, in our partnership, uh, our students go on to be captains of industry, to be uh, medical professionals, um, go on to the finance industries, um, education, uh, and they go on to some of the best uh, Power 5 universities in uh, the U.S. To support talented students, New Taipei City will provide scholarships of 50,000 NT per student, worth a combined of 1 million NT each year. 21 scholarships will be awarded for three consecutive years. For most news, Stephanie Yang, Chen Shenhan in New Taipei City.